We're continuing our series through the book of Acts, and we find ourselves this morning at Acts chapter 14. And I'm beginning at verse 8. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates, because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this. They tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, what you, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all the nations go their own way, yet he has not left, left himself without testimony he has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back to the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders from, for, each in, for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. I'm going to look at three things from this passage this morning. The first is the reception, the second is the rejection, and finally, reflection. Looking at first, the reception. Paul and Barnabas were received in a very confused way. In fact, you have to understand that the Laconian language is not one that they would have understood. So imagine speaking uh, in a language that everyone understood and you're sharing with them the gospel of Jesus Christ and people start chanting and cheering and getting all excited. You think, hey, I got through. But no, they're chanting something completely different something completely unrelated, in fact, in opposition to the gospel that Paul and Barnabas were sharing. They thought that Paul and Barnabas were Zeus and Hermes. Now, Hermes was the, um, the speaker for the gods, so they assumed that Paul was Hermes because he was doing most of the talking, and Barnabas was more of an imposing um, physical figure, so they thought he must be Zeus, the the strong-looking one, and, and so they, they wanted to honor them. They wanted to make sure that, that they honored the gods, and Paul and Barnabas are saying, we're not gods. Please, we're not gods. But yeah, and in order to understand the story a little better, you have to understand a story written by uh, Ovid in Metamorphoses in which the um, Zeus and Hermes came to a village very near 
this place many years before, supposedly. Of course, it's a myth. But there was no reception for them. No one cared that they were there. No one extended any hospitality to them. Except for one older couple. And as the story goes, this older couple extended this hospitality to these supposed gods. And they were then, in return, given authority, given a, a beautiful palace in which to live the remainder of their days. And when they died, they become two, became two enormous trees, bearing witness to their hospitality. And the rest of the villages, villagers were swept away. So these people thinking, yikes, if this is indeed Zeus and Hermes, we better honor them because we don't want to be swept away and maybe, just maybe, we'll, get, we'll be honored like that older couple. So that was their motivation for um, speaking to Paul and Barnabas that way. But you notice what happened to the message? Because they thought they understood, they did not understand. And that happens so often. I think that's one of the biggest frustrations for preachers. We try to get the message right, and then the hearers hear it through some sort of filters and don't really hear what we're trying to say at all. And sometimes hear something very opposite. It's weird, right? But it happens all the time. Paul and Barnabas were trying to speak about a God who exists before all creation, the God who actually created everything, not a human-made God, but the God who is in charge of all things, and the people couldn't hear them because they had their own ideas of what gods must be like. It's like one preacher said he um, once found a, a lizard, a green, dark green lizard, uh, and showed it to a little girl that was... Um, probably his granddaughter or something, and, and said, do you know what this is? And the little girl said, yes, that's an alligator. <laughs> well, the little girl had never seen a lizard. The little girl had never seen a real alligator, but had seen lots of alligators in her children's books, and the alligators look a lot like this lizard. So it made perfect sense that she would think that this thing that's shaped like an alligator would be an alligator. There was no real sense of scale in this interaction. And a lot of people are like that when they hear the gospel. They hear the good news of the gospel, but they filter it through what they already understand rather than allow it to speak what it is. And this is a very dangerous thing. But it also tells us that we have to be aware of these filters, these understandings that people have when we, when we share God's love and truth with them. We have to understand that they're coming from certain understandings of the world, and those understandings that they have already will influence how they hear the word. So it's interesting, uh, through this uh, section, when Paul is, um, and we're, we've shifted from Peter to Paul, I don't know if you noticed, but we have in the last few weeks, and now Paul is doing most of the work that's being recorded in the book of Acts, and Paul, uh, as he speaks to various places, speaks in different ways, just 
um, a few verses before this, he's speaking to the Jews, and he appeals directly to their scripture. He says, we all have this understanding, right? We know what God's word says, and therefore, let me show you from scripture what God is doing through Jesus Christ. A few verses later, in, in Acts 15, he's at in Athens, and he sees all these statues to various gods, and there's one that says to an unknown God, and he grasps that, and he says, people, I know that unknown God, and I know that deep within you, you understand that there must be a God who is over all things, and I know this God and can introduce him to you. He understands the context and the presuppositions of the people to whom he's speaking, and for people who don't have any sense of religion or any sense of biblical truth, the only place to go to start is creation, is to look around and see how things work and see how God has knitted everything together in such amazing ways and to say, look at this. Look what God has done. And that's exactly what Paul does here. He says, look at the creation. I know the creator. I know the one who continues to provide rain for you, who continues to give you the joy that you experience. This is the creator of all things. And they, some of them might have heard him, but most couldn't even hear because they were so wrapped up in their presuppositions. But it's not just those to whom we're speaking who get wrapped up in their own presuppositions. We do too. It's so frustrating, even within the church, to see people who have a certain set of ideas and they hear the gospel and they filter the gospel through their ideas and parts of the gospel still are maintained and parts of the gospel get lost. And I would encourage everyone who is a citizen of the kingdom of God to get your ideas from the Bible. So many people uh, use politics as their first thing. So they have a political view to the right or to the left, and they, they filter the gospel through their political ideology. And in the Bible, you can find support for things that are fairly liberal, and you can find support for things that are fairly conservative. And you can say, well, because I'm a liberal or because I'm a conservative, I read the Bible and I filter it all through and I come out, the Bible supports me. Or others say, the Bible, no, the Bible supports me. But the Bible speaks its own word. The Bible speaks God's word. And when we allow all of our thoughts all of our ideas to be founded, grounded in this word. We will not align easily with any other worldview, with any other ideology. We will have a biblical worldview, and that's what I encourage all citizens of the kingdom of God to strive for. Because if we have a message that is skewed one way or the other and we try to share that message with people, they're going to be confused. Or, like what we found as a problem through the history of of mission in certain decades was the, the missionaries would take the gospel but also their culture to another culture and the people who heard the message thought that the gospel meant you have to live like a Westerner or a European. And the fact of the matter is the gospel addresses every culture because the gospel is outside of the culture and over the culture, every culture. So be careful. 
be careful to let God's word be your primary source of truth. And if anything you already think you know is contradicted by God's word, be humble enough to acknowledge that and put God's word first. So, we've looked at reception. Now we're going to look at rejection. And I understand rejection really well this week, let me tell you. I went on our podcast site, and I saw that the podcast of my sermons had a 3.7 out of 5 rating. (laughs) By my math, there were five people who rated it a 5, which is good, right? And two people who rated it, rated them one. They hate me. (laughs) Now, it didn't take too long for that rating to go up to a four, thanks to Devin. I don't know about you, but stuff like that starts me into a tailspin until I get smart and pull out and, and, and realize that maybe, and this is what I'm telling myself, well, there are some people who think that the one is the highest and the five is the lowest, so they, they love me anyway, and, and they got confused. Or maybe, maybe they hate them. And what do I do with that? Do I do surveys and find out what they really want to hear and then give the people what they want? Can't do it. Paul was rejected. Paul didn't get a slightly lower rating than he wanted to on his podcasts. Paul was had stones thrown at him until he was so beaten up that they thought he was dead. And they dragged him out of the city. That's rejection, folks. Now, if that happened to me, I don't know how many five-star ratings Devin would have to give me for me to get back out there and start again. How long did it take, Paul? One night of sleep. One night of sleep, and he's back out. Because he knows that his message may be received happily by some, but it may be hated by others. But he doesn't measure his own value by this message or by the reception of this message, I mean. He knows that God has called him to share this truth, whether it's received happily or received with violence. The truth is most important. And Paul and Barnabas deal with something that they think is even scarier, even worse than rejection. Do you see what it is? They were more concerned with the accolades that the people were trying to lay upon them than they were about the rejection that they ultimately received. Why? Well, you remember last week we talked about Herod and what happened to him. He was eaten by worms and died. 
because he didn't give glory and honor to God. Paul and Barnabas knew that God is indeed God, and to try to take God's place is utter foolishness, is the worst thing you can do. So they did not want to be perceived as God. They also didn't want to make their message about pleasing the people or about doing what the people wanted. And that, my friends, is one of the most challenging elements of our lives. And I would say maybe particularly for pastors' lives. It's fun to have people like you. It's fun to get five stars. It's fun to have people at the door say, oh, that merely meant something to me today, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. But if ever I start preaching what you want to hear, if that what you want to hear is contrary to the word of God, I don't want to go there. And I hope you don't want me to go there. We live, as one former pastor of mine said, to an audience of one, and that one is our God and Father. We want to live lives that honor God, not get us praise, because all praise and glory goes to God. Finally, reflection. Reception, rejection, reflection. And as we've seen above, we need to reflect on the Word of God so that we're right in our minds, in our thoughts, and even in our feelings about who God is. But reflection in this context, I think, is more important. It's more important to understand it as our job to reflect God to the world. And yes, we're all slightly cracked mirrors. We're all slightly faded in our ability to reflect the glory of God. But let us never reflect God through some lens or through something that isn't God at all. And folks, when you are aware of your responsibility to share God with people around you, you're sharing God with people around you. When you are unaware of your responsibility to share God with people around you, they are seeing what they think God is through you nonetheless. If we claim our position as children of God, as ambassadors of the kingdom of God, no matter where we are, no matter what we do, if someone knows that about you, they are seeing what, they are defining God by what they see in you. So be very careful. I may have told you before, but that little magnet on the back of my car that has our name on it makes me drive differently. Not that I would never drive badly before. <laughs> but Devin will remind me sometimes, Jim, one little beep is good enough. You have the magnet on the back of your car. 
maybe you don't need to use the horn at all. That's a little too far. But <laughs> the point is that no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, if we are God's sons and daughters, we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And what we do and what we say and how we think and how we present ourselves, and this is not just in physical interactions, this is on social media too, folks. We are representing the kingdom of God to the world. This is a very serious thing. It's a glorious thing, but it's a dangerous thing. So keep it in mind. Remember, you are a reflection of God's kingdom. You are a, a reflection of God. Paul, knowing this, knowing his call, went on from this town on to the next, went to Derby, got a great um, following in Derby, not a following, but a great result in Derby. Many people came to know Christ in Derby. I think he went to Upper Derby next. It's about time I end, but I don't know how to end after that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I do. Second Peter 2, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Matthew 5, 16, let your lights shine before others so that they see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And finally, a quote by uh, Michael Frost and Alan Hirsch. Surely the challenge for ch the church today is to be taken captive by the agenda of Jesus. Rather than seeking to mold him to fit our agendas, no matter how noble they might be, we acknowledge that we can never truly claim to know him completely. We all bring our biases to the task, but we believe it is inherent in the faith to keep trying and to never give up on this holy quest. The challenge before us is to let Jesus be Jesus and allow ourselves to be caught up in his extraordinary mission for the world. Amen. Let us pray together. Holy God, we thank you for your presence in our lives and we acknowledge that as Paul said, there are trials and struggles to enter the kingdom of God. There are trials and struggles in this world in which we live. We consider the, the shootings of last weekend and we pray for somehow there to be a breakthrough in our land that we can figure out how to stop these. We consider the the witness of your church and feel like it is weakening in this land and pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit to bring revival and renewal and a new reception to the message to which, with which we've been entrusted. Lord, on the news this morning, the number of people dead in a tsunami in Asia, we pray for those people and we pray for those left behind. We pray for your church to rise up and bring help and hope. And we know even within this room 
There is hurt, there is fear, there is pain. And we pray for your Holy Spirit to bring peace, to bring healing, and to bring strength, and to build within our hearts a strong sense of the truth that nothing can separate us from the love, your love, in Jesus Christ. And as that solid foundation to life builds, give us strength to reach out into this world with hope and love and grace that we would reflect you, your kingdom values, and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ faithfully, that others may know the wonder and joy of knowing you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.